Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good day and thank you for standing by and welcome to the Paydas Q1 2021 Financial Results Conference Call. Good day and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Paydas Q1 2021 Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Darren Z, President and CEO. Please go ahead. Well, thank you, Mary. Sorry for the little technical uh, mix-up here this morning. That, uh, we got a delayed start by a minute or two. But uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, thanks uh, to everybody for tuning in to uh, Pato's first quarter 2021 results conference call. Before we get into it today, I would like to remind everybody that all statements made by the company during this call are subject to the forward-looking disclaimer and advisory set forth in the company's news release issued yesterday. In the room with me today, we've got uh, most of the Pato management team. Uh, J.P. Lachance, our VP Engineering and Chief Operating Officer is here. Kathy Turgeon, our Chief Financial Officer is here. Dave Thomas, our VP Exploration is here. Todd Burdick, he's our VP of Production, he's here. Lee Curran, our VP of Drilling and Completions. And Derek Zember, our VP of Land is here. Uh, the only one missing today is Scott Robinson, our VP of Business Development. I think the sign on his door says he's working remotely today. But uh, feel free to uh, fire your questions away at uh, anybody uh, from the Pato management team. We're all here to answer them. Of course, all seven of us are physically distanced in the boardroom and taking all the safety precautions uh, with respect to COVID-19 that we need to take. But uh, I can say that we're also all somewhat relieved since I think everyone in the room but maybe Todd has uh, already had their first vaccination shot. So we're all eager to help bring this pandemic to an end. I think our uh, management team is typical of the larger PATO staff in that uh, close to 80 to 90 percent of our staff have already had their first shot by now as well. So hopefully that, uh, that lowers our collective risk uh, to COVID going forward. Uh, I do want to recognize the efforts of both our office and field personnel this past quarter. They continued to conduct operations with safety foremost in mind, uh, particularly with COVID and all the other operational risks that exist on an ongoing basis in the oil and gas industry. We didn't have any major outbreaks uh, of COVID that shut us down uh, at all this past quarter, which was great, uh, whether that's uh, on the drilling rigs with the rig crews or uh, our big frack crews that show up for fracture operations during completions, uh, the pipeline crews that obviously have to work closely together, uh, even our own plant and, and well operations crews. Um, it was great to see everybody was uh, making sure we were staying safe and uh, not passing any COVID along. So uh, we had another strong safety record this quarter. So well done, everybody. And I just want to say a big thank you to all our people, both here in Calgary and out in the field, for continuing to keep the gas flowing. So 
so that Albertans can keep the lights on and especially the heat flowing because this past first quarter, particularly in February, was brutally cold. And so that was a life-saving uh, supply of energy that we all needed. So thank you to all our people. Okay, uh, on to our first quarter results. Uh, operationally, we continued to drill some very strong wells in Q1. Our base production came into the year at around 86,000 barrels a day, and that grew from our drilling operations to around 88,000 by the end of the quarter. Obviously, we had to offset uh, the annual 25% decline, uh, which is actually steeper in the first part of the year, probably closer to 28 to 30%. So that meant uh, capital efficiency on that organic activity was extremely good. I think we're way less than 8,000 flowing on that. And then we layered on top of that production the two Cecilia acquisitions. Uh, they were effective January 1st, 2021. That added close to 3,000 barrels a day for around $36 million. Uh, so that ratio would be around 12,000 flowing. And so collectively, we were, uh, we were in at around uh, 8,000 flowing for the trailing 12 months, uh, which is some of the best capital efficiency we've seen at Pado. And on a combined basis, we exited the quarter at around 91,000 BOEs a day. About 86% of that was uh, gas and the rest was NGLs. We drilled a total of 27 wells in the quarter, so a very active quarter. Uh, seven of those were our newly designed extended reach horizontal wells. Uh, we defined those uh, extended reach wells as having over two, two kilometers of horizontal lateral. And this new well design, I think, is a real game changer for PADO, uh, and we're excited about what this means for our future resource potential. Uh, Lee and Dave, Dave can uh, provide some more color on this later, I think. Um, drilling was spread out uh, across many of the core areas, actually, through the quarter. But, you know, we continued to take advantage of our extensive pipeline and facility infrastructure capacity. So our spud-on stream times uh, continue to lead the industry. I think over the last five quarters, we've been putting wells on production within about 40 days of commencing drilling, and that's even with all the pad drilling that we're doing. So that's very quick conversion, yeah, even for us, and uh, very quick conversion relative to uh, most others in the industry. Other operational highlights for the quarter include our emissions reduction work. We continued to swap out uh, measurement equipment in the field. That significantly reduces methane emissions. This lowers, of course, our carbon tax bill and increases our methane sales, all while being better for the environment. So really, that's a, that's a triple win. We also continue to work with our suppliers on uh, a new design for our well site packages that have next to zero emissions. We have some of the, those new designs being installed this year. We'll, we'll trial those and, and see how they work with uh, the ultimate goal, of course, to, to minimize our emissions uh, if we can. But at the same time, we have, to, uh, we have to make sure that we have reliable systems for production operations. Um, you know, I think we all saw the examples of uh, having uh, systems too integrated and then one of them failing, causing all of them to fail down in Texas this winter. So we have to make sure that, uh, you know, even though we're putting in more uh, environmentally friendly uh, systems in our production operations, they still have to work, uh, especially in the wintertime. Zero emissions, uh, but Albertans freezing to death is not our goal. <laughs> we want to make sure that we can get down to very low emissions but have very reliable energy. Moving on to the financial results for the quarter, we, uh, we maintained some very good cash costs throughout the quarter. Operating costs were lower, so nice job, Todd. Uh, royalties, of course, were predictably higher uh, due to stronger commodity prices. Those scale, of course, with commodity prices. 
Uh, our interest charges were also a little bit higher, which was tied to our revised covenants and our banking agreement. Uh, those are coming down as we move forward, uh, and Kathy can speak to that later. Natural gas prices were, uh, were obviously very strong during the quarter. We alluded to that in our last conference call, and uh, really we made off like bandits in a couple of places, uh, particularly the volumes we had diversified to the Ventura market, which is just outside Chicago. When the cold spell hit uh, mid-February, we saw spot prices there spike to over $150 in MMBTU. So we cashed in on that for about a week, and that windfall actually uh, almost offset all of our expensive market diversification costs for the quarter. So in the end, uh, we were close to achieving ACO-like uh, prices for the quarter, uh, which gives us cash flows that are extremely strong. Um, and I think, you know, the, that's a bit indicative of what we'll look like in a few quarters from now when the higher cost basis deals fall away. Funds from operations uh, were more than double what they were in Q1 2020. That was obviously a pretty ugly period, so uh, we were happy to see our funds from operations back up to where they're supposed to be. And uh, that $117 million uh, really covered all of our capital program, it covered our dividend, and it even covered the acquisitions that we made in, in Q1. So. We ended up uh, growing production while still paying down some debt, and that's obviously an ideal situation. Earnings or profits were also way up in the quarter, uh, basically back to the level of profit margin we're used to at Pato. I think our average profit margin over the ten, last 10 years has been right around 20%. That's uh, earnings to revenue. So 22% this quarter was right in line, and it's exactly what we expect to see. On the marketing side, uh, we've added uh, to our basis deals going out to 2024 with more ACO to Henry Hub and ACO to Dawn deals that are significantly below the pipeline tolls. Uh, very attractive looking basis deals. I, I much prefer the synthetic transportation of a basis deal since there's no physical delivery risk. We get to market and get market diversification, but we only have to deliver our gas to the sales meter, which is just outside our plant gate. If anything happens to the pipe beyond that, like a ransomware attack or some governor trying to shut it down, it's not really our problem. We've already delivered our gas to the, to the sales point and, and we get paid, but we get access effectively to those, uh, those diversified markets across North America. So the basis deals look very attractive to us right now. We secured 40,000 gigajoules a day to Dawn at a cost that's almost 25 cents in an MMBTU below the LTFP toll. So I really like that. Uh, you know, gas prices are setting up very well for this coming winter. Um, we're looking at storage refills this summer, and both European storage is, is filling very, very slowly. Even U.S. storage and Canadian storage is filling pretty slowly. So uh, even though there's uh, obviously strong demand to get that gas into storage, the supplies are pretty thin. A lot of demand for those supplies. We're seeing a lot of gas exiting the Gulf of Mexico through LNG exports and pipelines down into Mexico, and so that's that's pulling a lot of gas away from the North American market, which is very constructive for gas prices. So we're pretty excited about uh, that, how that's setting up. Um, that's probably pretty much it for the quarter. Uh, a very solid quarter, both operationally and financially. So uh, Mary, why don't we uh, we take this? Time to throw it open to uh, questions from those listening in. Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star, then the number one on your telephone. 
to withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Gail Lunan with Natural Gas World. Your line is now open. Good morning, Darren. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm just wondering, given your comments on, on storage access and, and improving fundamentals in North America, if you've tempered your uh, expectations of end-of-the-world volatility in August and April. Uh, thanks for the question, Dale. It's a good one. Um, I, I don't think we have changed our opinion of uh, what could potentially happen here in Alberta. There's a lot of uh, maintenance and uh, work that's planned for August on the, the NOVA system. Uh, we still anticipate that that's going to have a fairly significant impact in Alberta. We're hoping it's short-lived. Um, and I think, you know, when you look right now at the injections in Alberta going into storage and you look at the price differentials between summer and next winter, it really, there's not a lot of financial incentive to actually put gas into storage, and yet there are, is, a, is a fair amount of gas still going into storage right now, which kind of tells us that people are, are anticipating there's going to be a, a window there where they're not going to be able to inject gas, and so they're trying to get ahead of it a little bit. Uh, with the injections. Uh, even as it is, we're projecting that uh, ACO storage or the ACO connected storage, so that's the stuff off the NOVA system, is only going to get to about 70 to 75 percent full. Um, we, we were a lot fuller last winter um, going into that cold winter last year, a good thing, because we, uh, we took about 225 BCF out. Uh, we're, we're only anticipating that we're probably going to refill something a little over 100 or so so, you know, it still looks to us like a, a bit of a delicate situation for, for natural gas storage in Alberta, and, and we still think that August is going to be a difficult time, um, particularly for, for Alberta prices, which is why we diversified uh, away from the ACO market for this summer. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Dale. Thanks for the question. Again, to ask a question, Please press star followed by one on your touchstone telephone. Next question comes from the line of Jeremy McPhee with Raymond James. Your line is now open. Oh, hi, guys. Uh, just a follow-up question on your extended lateral wells. I'm just curious to know how much that basically how much that is expected to improve your profitability going forward in terms of your payout, maybe the MPV per well. Um, and how much you've built that production improvement into your guidance? Yeah, that's a great question, Jeremy. Um, you know, these are this is a, a relatively new well design for us. We drilled a few of these wells last year to sort of push the envelope and test the risk out, I think. Um, uh, maybe, JP, you could talk a little bit about the economics of those and, and how that changes things for us. Yeah, sure, Darren. Um, we drilled about six wells last year where we tested uh, longer reach horizontals of uh, six mile and a halfers. And so um, uh, we drilled them about 70% longer and we probably put about twice as much sand in these laterals. So we increased the intensity as well. Um, and we did that for a cost per meter that was about 20% lower. So all a very good program. Um, the rate of return on, those, on, those, on that group of wells is around 40%. 
and that might compare to something that was closer to 20% in the past, and the payouts here would be, um, you know, just under the two-year mark. So, and again, we probably would have seen payouts a lot longer than that. I don't have an MPV number off the top of my head, but obviously the, the economics for these um, are a lot better, and we have factored in this into our 2021 program because we have about 20 wells planned uh, for this year to follow up on that program and different species uh, in different areas. So, yeah, we, we're very happy with the success of that program, Jeremy. You know, Jeremy, the, okay. these extended reach, though, are they're a different, I, I would characterize them as a little bit different risk profile, but Lee, maybe you can comment a little bit about uh, the drilling risks, whether, you know, they're any more dangerous drilling longer laterals than what we uh, traditionally do? Sure. Um, you know, I guess I guess backing up, I don't know if it's necessarily a truly new design in any way. Um, we've, we've always stuck with our standard open hole ball drop system um, that we've, we've been doing for the last decade. Um, and many of these deep targets still carry intermediate casing design um, in their actual well design. So um, it's just really how they factored into uh, our program as a, as a percentage of our activity. Um, we drilled our first extended reach horizontal back in 2014, being our um, 8 of 28, 54, 22 well rich horizontal. Um, what's really changed is back then, um, you know, we were kind of biting our lip as we drilled it. Uh, that, that well was uh, TD'd at, at 6,000 meters with a 3,000 meter lateral. Um, you know, we we were uh, nervous deploying a 21 stage uh, system into that, and, and the drill cost um, drill cost was was just over 3.3 million, I, I believe, and um, and that was with a flawless execution. So you know, that wasn't plagued with uh, with uh, well bore challenges. Um, our completion cost on that well was 2.2 million, so DNC totaled just over five and a half million dollars. Um, you know, it was hard to, it was hard, you know, the, the results didn't really profess to us at that time that that was, that was the, that was the, uh, the way we should move forward with these, uh, with these wells. Um, in 2020, as JP mentioned, we drilled uh, six of these on the 64 well program, so that was about nine percent of our program. Um, we experimented with a little bit of technical changes as compared to our, our regular drilling program, use of brine in our laterals and, you know, bit development continues to evolve. And, you know, we, we, uh, we were able to, uh, we were able to um, execute this program for about, um, you know, these wells were 2.1 million on average for a 5,500 meter well and we were, we were installing 30 to 32 stages. So, you know, we, we grew our confidence um, in this longer design and our ability to to uh, to drill it, to get our liners on bottom, to successfully complete it. Um, in 2021, we uh, we continued pushing that stage count up to 40 stages. Um, you know, on the risk front, you know, uh, Dave's group and Dave will probably talk to this here a little later. Um, Got to give a shout out to those guys. Um, I'm gonna give a little bit of a hats off to Mike Reese. Um, they did a great job at mitigating the geologic risk. Um, a lot of these are well-rich wells, and the well-rich is, uh, is, uh, has the unfortunate, uh, unfortunate situation of, of being bound with an overlying coal that, that is uh, markedly unstable. Um, and so as we chase the best rock in the, in the uppermost portion of this well-rich, um, we flirt with that, that coal, um, and those guys have done a great job um, through offset offset well research and seismic review, um, just staying away from that coal. Um, 
So that helps us, A, execute the wells to full length and, and reduce the risk. It's a huge stuck, stuck pipe risk. Um, historically, more gear means more problems. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned, we're pushing up, you know, high 30s, even low 40 uh, stage count in these wells, and we'll probably see that continue to evolve through the year. Um, our vendor alignments and quality control has dramatically improved uh, our confidence in these uh, higher stage count and tight tolerance systems that these, uh, these long laterals require. Uh, risk of deployment, uh, that continues to actually improve. Um, you know, these longer laterals, as, uh, as we adhere to really uh, strong wellbore conditioning procedures, we're seeing our ability to get these long liners with a lot of gear to bottom easier than I would say we used to a couple of years ago with with lower stage counts and shorter laterals. So um, just experience and, and our ability to uh, to uh, keep those well bores conditioned, along with what I mentioned, the geo, geo steering team keeping these well bores smooth has uh, has really reduced our risk in in getting our liners to bottom. And then. Um, you know, post frack drill outs, that's a risk. More gear, uh, more balls, that's uh, you know, more stages, more sand. There's more probability of, uh, of a post frack flowback plug in the wellbore. Um, and we've seen that. Um, and I don't know if there's anything other than, you know, continued development on dissolvable material technology. There's nothing really we can do to, to mitigate that per se, other than uh, our small completions group, Joe and Jared, have, uh, have made a big leap on, uh, on their cost, cost uh, metrics on, um, on our coil tubing drill outs post-rack. Post we, uh, we just recently drilled two of these uh, extended reach wells out to uh, fully to TD to 5,700 meters, and uh, we did it for about 150 grand a well. So those, are, those, those make that, uh, that risk pretty small in the whole scheme of things. Um, there's a big prize, as, as JP mentioned, on the rate of return front. So, um, you know, we've, through the course of time, maybe our uptake has been a little slower than some of in the industry, but, uh, you know, we, we pride ourselves in, uh, in our cost control and in our uh, operational execution. And I think, you know, we're seeing that uh, we're not really adding a lot of risk, but with adding this incremental length on these additional stages. Thanks, Lee. You know, Jeremy, I, it, hopefully that color gives you some perspective on some of the operational challenges of some of these horizontal multi-stage frack wells and also, you know, when we talk about changing well designs, it's not a small decision because there's a lot of factors to consider and risk being, you know, one of the primary ones, but it comes in all different forms and shapes and all different steps of the operation. So. Anyway, uh, hopefully that gives you yeah. some color on the on the, the new design. No, no, it doesn't. And just just going back to that that payout that you were just talking about that at that two years, what commodity price assumption would that be using, especially on the NGLs? Just I know NGLs are starting to move up here a little bit more now, and then just it's just um, are you taking advantage of those NGL pricings? Just maybe a quick comment on that as well. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Yeah, um, typically we run all of our new well economics at Strip, uh, accounting for, for sort of where gas prices are headed. Of course, they're quite severely backwardated at ACO right now, so you know, it's not a great gas price forecast to run gas wells against, but uh, so be it. It is what it is, and we're, we'll have to make it work. Um, you're right on the NGL side. Uh, propane, particularly, is quite a bit stronger. Uh, we realized that in the first quarter of this year. Uh, butane is obviously back up to more typical levels, closer to, you know, 40 to 50 percent of light oil price. Um, 2020 uh, butane prices were terrible, obviously, because... Uh, you know, there has been that uh, refinery shutdown that gave us a glut of butane, and it took a while to uh, wear that off. But uh, I think last year, um, you know, as that came away, butane prices strengthened quite a bit. So I think our propane and butane prices in Q1 that we realized that were about 30 bucks a barrel um, are more typical. And, yeah, that is a big driver. It's helpful, too. Um, we've got a deep cut, uh, only one. At one of our plants, but uh, obviously it strips a lot more butane and propane out as well. So, you know, if we can if we can bring uh, these extended reach horizontal wells with more reserves, even if it's leaner reserves, into the deep cut, then we're getting more liquids out of those wells too, and so that helps the economics. But really, we're not trying to. Um, I don't think uh, only make economic return when the prices are really good. We obviously have to survive the volatility in the price, and and so. You know, we've got to build a robust investment here that uh, can survive some of the dips as well as some of the strong uh, spikes. Okay, thanks, Seth. You bet. Thanks for the question. Again, if you wish to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your touchstone telephone. Your next question comes from Trevor Heaver, lead as a shareholder. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I note in your uh, release reference to uh, reducing debt. So I did go back and, and look at your annual reports and find that your long-term debt has basically been flat. I went back to 2015. So I wonder if you could comment uh, on your uh, statement in your, in your release about uh, dealing with debt. Thanks, Trevor. Great question. Um, yeah, so we are, uh, over the long term, planning to bring our debt uh, down. Uh, we did mention, uh, I think about a year ago, that uh, the strategy in the short term was actually to get cash flow up. That was something that we could affect quicker, and uh, that debt-to-cash flow ratio or debt-to-EBITDA ratio is uh, one of the covenants within our debt agreement that uh, we were concerned about. And so by putting uh, the cash flow from last year to work um, drilling wells and the majority of the cash flow this year to work drilling wells, we're bringing cash flow up quite a bit. Uh, and that's actually uh, giving us some relief on that debt to EBITDA ratio. Uh, and then as, that, uh, as we roll forward, we're going to generate more and more free cash flow at that higher level. And that's where we're really going to materially pay down uh, our long-term debt. Uh, going forward. So we'll, we will pay down a little bit of debt this year, we're forecasting, based on the current strip, 
uh, and next year we, we pay it down in a much more material way. Uh, really though, when you look back over Pato's 22 year history, um, our, our debt to EBITDA ratio uh, or debt to cash flow ratio has, has typically you know, averaged about two times, um, which for some people they might think that's a bit heavy, but uh, we have used debt very effectively um, and it's relatively low cost debt. Obviously interest rates are relatively low still. Um, and it's, it, you have to put that into perspective. Pato has nine years of producing reserve life, which is uh, extremely long, one of the longest producing reserve life uh, assets in the industry. And so when we think about two years of debt uh, on that nine years of reserves, it, it doesn't seem overly levered. Of course, if you had a three-year reserve life and you had two years of debt, uh, you would think, wow, I'm two-thirds levered. And so that is pretty heavy leverage. And so when you think about our debt relative to our cash flows and relative to our reserve life, uh, you have to consider those factors because uh, we have an asset here that has very long life to it, uh, very uh, significant value beyond the traditional sort of seven to eight years. And, and that's what's really supporting our ability to carry uh, debt against it and to use some debt effectively. But as you would probably point out, we've just come through a period here where, uh, you know, carrying debt is at risk. Uh, it looks scary to a lot of investors. Um, and, and, you know, for a period of time there when commodity prices were really low, uh, it looked even scary to us. But uh, thankfully, we're through that. And uh, I think by the end of this year, we'll be at a sort of debt to cash flow level that is very historic for us and very comfortable for us. Thank you very much. That, that uh, gives me a much better feel for your, uh, the business model and your strategy. You bet. Great question. There are no further questions at this time. Diane G., you may continue. Okay. Well, thanks, Mary. Um, we did get a couple questions come in uh, overnight, uh, emailed in from shareholders. Um, so I did want to... Uh, approach a couple of topics here. Uh, one with respect to, uh, further on the debt side, with respect to our interest charges. And so maybe I can turn it over to Kathy and she can talk a little bit about uh, how our interest charges are, are going to look going forward here. They're, they are changing quite dramatically. Sure, Darren. So um, at the end of 2020, we had a leverage or debt to cash EBITDA ratio of uh, 4.3 times. In Q1, that came down to 3.36 times. And as we uh, decrease our leverage ratios, that actually affects our stamping fees that we pay, which is a significant component of our interest cost. So um, when we see that coming down under four, under three and a half, then we have significant changes in our rate. So our interest rate in Q1 was 6.2 based on the historical 4.3 times EBITDA. So going forward in the next few quarters, we expect that our interest rates will go down uh, more toward the four and a half times um, a four and a half percent rate, which would save us approximately, you know, two two and a half million dollars a quarter. So we're expecting um, to see our interest costs in Q4 to be more in the 30 cent per MCF MCF range, or about um, 13 million dollars, which is a significant decrease from the $18 million in Q1. Great. I like to hear that. Thanks, Kath. 
Um, one of the other questions that came in overnight was uh, about ESG, uh, some of our uh, ESG initiatives, and so maybe I can uh, put this one to Todd. Um, the question was just, you know, what other projects really are we looking at in, in addition to some of our controller work that's being swapped out that's reducing, meth reducing methane emissions? Todd, are there other things that we're looking at at PAYDO long-term things or short-term things that uh, also help reduce our emissions? Um, yes, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, absolutely, Darren. Um, you know, um, we had set a target back in 2016 of a 50% reduction in our uh, emissions intensity and uh, through Q1 here with our retrofit program, uh, we're pretty much there. We should be very close, if not there now, so we'll have a new target coming out here sometime uh, in the next few months. Um, you know, we're in our sixth year, really, with our emissions reduction team of, um, of researching and trialing, engaging with industry, and then implementing a lot of meaningful initiatives that, that have saved uh, methane going into the atmosphere so we can sell it. And, uh, and, you know, as you mentioned, it's good for PAYDO and it's good for the environment. Um, uh, you know, that work continues. Um, all these initiatives, initiatives that we've implemented are go above and beyond uh, the Directive 60 um, uh, compliance requirements. So, so, you know, we're doing better than what the industry would ask of us. Uh, so this year, uh, we'll continue with our high bleed to low bleed controller retrofit program. Uh, we expect that program, that project to be completed in June. Uh, we'll also be removing controllers on some low rate wells. So essentially turning them from a low vent to a no vent uh, type well. Um, we'll continue to install collection devices that capture vented methane from legacy pneumatic chemical pumps and use it as fuel gas and well site heaters. Um, we'll also be retrofitting older high rate wells equipped with pneumatic pumps with electric pumps. This was something that didn't really make sense economically when we started installing electric pumps on our new wells in 2017, uh, but with advances in power efficiency and pump technology, we can now do it effectively and reliably. Uh, today, one pump can do what four pumps used to do. Um, that's injecting different chemicals at different rates with less power consumption than our first generation of electric pumps. Um, as you mentioned, this summer we'll start receiving our first shipment of uh, fully electric separator skids. So we've actually been trialing uh, a design and refining that design in the field since 2019. So we've gone through two winter seasons with a, with a fully electric skid. And, um, you know, we now have an extremely reliable design. And as I mentioned, with, with a really low power consumption, so with a couple extra solar panels and, and a couple of extra batteries, uh, we haven't had any issues through two winters. Um, the team is also set to trial an in-stream pipeline power generator uh, at two separate pads this year, and that provides all the power needs for each pad as well as recharging the uh, backup batteries. And if, if successful, it could replace solar panels in some applications. Um, so you know, over the past five years, our, our efforts have really focused on well sites. Uh, it was sort of low-hanging fruit from a cost perspective. 
Um, but we've also engaged with technology providers that have been developing solutions at gas plants. Um, that includes compressor waste heat recovery, uh, where the captured waste heat can be used to supplement utility heat duty in a plant and reduce the gas, the fuel gas by fired heaters. Uh, later this year, we'll initiate a feasibility study for a solar panel farm uh, that could supplement the power needs of one of our gas plants. Um, we've also been working with a company to trial a geothermal application that has a multitude of potential applications, both at well sites and at gas plants. So we hope to advance that trial by the end of the year. Um, obviously, the facility implementations can be quite capital intensive, especially compared to what we've been able to do at well sites. But like we've seen with well sites, uh, the technology is getting more efficient and the costs are going down. So we anticipate being able to implement some of these applications in the future. Um, also, there's been a lot of discussion recently about around carbon capture and storage and, and blue hydrogen. Uh, so that's something that we continue to monitor and, uh, and we're excited to see what may come of those two emerging technologies. Great. That sounds all really good. Uh, the last question that we saw was uh, actually with respect to um, acquisitions. We're, we're not typically a big acquirer of Pato. We've, we've built almost everything we have today uh, from scratch, uh, but we did uh, a couple of acquisitions in the first quarter. Um, those were the, the first that we've done in a long time of size. Um, so maybe I can turn to Derek and ask him um, what what else are we seeing coming down the pipe, Derek? Are we are we looking at some more more sizable acquisitions? Is the, the land sale opportunities starting to emerge now that Crown land sales are back on the table? Or yeah, uh, <coughs> thanks, Darren. Um, we're, you know, we're constantly endeavoring to grow our land base uh, with talking acquisitions, uh, whether they be purchasing assets, farming in with drilling commitments, or entering into swaps. Um, generally, I believe uh, activity often creates opportunities. So with us being active. Um, helps us both be proactive and reactive as required. Um, also, I also believe uh, being quick and flexible within the different internal departments helps in this regard. Uh, our low cost capital structure, technical know-how and abundant amount of infrastructure um, can be used as a sort of currency at times to allow us to uh, withstand promotes on farmings and purchases um, <clears throat> whether, uh, where others may not be able to do so. Um, our BD group is actively looking at uh, additional growth areas while also continuing to look at tuck and acquisitions like Cecilia, for example. Um, in terms of crown sales, um, it's definitely you know, a lot act more active than last year um, in, in Q1 2021. Uh, there's a, about $11 million in bonuses for an average of uh, $195 uh, a haw, which is um, obviously substantial higher than 2020 when uh, there was about seven and a half months of uh, no crown sales. So uh, all in all, um, you know, as you mentioned, we're not, uh, um, you know, we're constantly looking at uh, uh, further um, um, uh, acquisition targets and uh, we mar them uh, as they come up or as we uh, are able to generate them. Okay, great. Well, I think that's all the questions that uh, we saw from people and shareholders. And uh, so thanks for everybody for tuning in. Uh, we'll obviously be back to you uh, mid-summer with uh, Q2 results. Um, we're, we're looking forward actually to 
another uh, busy year of drilling here at Pato and economics are starting to look stronger and stronger. Prices are looking better. Some cash flows are getting stronger. Our balance sheet's getting a lot better. So things are definitely looking up. Uh, we're excited about uh, the balance of this year. And we're excited, as probably most people are, to put COVID behind us and uh, finally get to go out and maybe have dinner together at some point in the not, hopefully not too distant future. So anyway, thanks for, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, watch the website. JP and I will get a, uh, a presentation, an updated presentation videotaped, and we'll get that up on the website since we can't have an AGM with everybody in the same room. Uh, we'll, we'll get a video presentation up, and hopefully that can uh, shed some more light on uh, where Pato's going and, and how we're doing. So thanks for uh, tuning in this morning, and we'll be back to you in August. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you all for your participation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.